missed you guys. I enjoy doing this. The the, the, the hundreds of people watching the show. <laughs> who don't comment. Who don't comment. Come on. Come on. Like, subscribe, alerts, do all yeah. the stuff. Tell your friends, all that stuff. I mean, we're just going to keep doing this until, I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? But we're going to keep doing this. Season two, episode seven. Seven. Episode Welcome. seven. Welcome. And um, oh, just before we get started, um, God, it's it's another sad day in rock music. Mark Lanigan oh, from yeah. the Screaming Trees died. He was the lead singer, wasn't he? He was the lead singer of Screaming Trees. He sang and played keyboards for a while for Queens mm-hmm. of the Stone Age. I love the song, I Nearly Lost You. Really? Love that song. He's very young too, wasn't he? 57. Yeah. Yeah, apparently um, complications from COVID. Mm. He, he caught it and really suffered badly from it. He, he went in, fell into two comas. Wow. Yeah, just didn't survive. And so, you know, Mark Lanigan. Um, look, a guy who was really prolific too. It wasn't just Screaming Trees and Queens of the Stone Age. He had a massive solo career. Did he? Yeah, he just, you know, he obviously, he released loads and loads of records, lots of duet sort of albums, like one with a, a Scottish artist named Isabel Campbell. So yeah, Mark Lanigan, um, yeah, a bit of a sad loss, yeah, 57 years old. Mind you, if you're having that bad a reaction to COVID at 57, um, mm. makes me wonder how were his lungs to begin with. I wonder, wonder if the smoking may have had yeah, something have to do with it too. Probably, yeah. yeah, but apart but apart from that, look, we're going to go back in time. Oh, before we do that, Chris, mm. why don't we? Before we do that, yeah. see, we record these. Sh- we we record this show, right? And do you see the big concert announcement that is happening in like? Early March already. In Australia? Yeah. In Geelong? Yes. Foo Fighters. Foo Fighters are doing, doing a one-off. one show in Geelong. Why? Because they can. It's they, a weird place to play one concert. It's a huge stadium, though. Is it? It's yeah. where the Geelong Cats play in the AFL. Oh, okay, yep. GMA, GMHBA Stadium, or whatever it's called. Yeah. I thought they would be playing the MCG. They could sell. Because I reckon this show is going to sell the hell out. It'd be like Wembley when they did Wembley because mm. I was at that. Oh, yeah, they at that show. Yeah, in, where um, Jimmy Page and yeah, um, yeah. John Paul Jones turned up. Mm. Yeah, they they played two nights there. Yeah, um, so they might do the same. They only play one. Show only one big, show. One show at a big stadium like that. How many does it hold? Oh, I'd say that hold about forty. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, but still weird. <laughs> oh, just coming out for the one show. Just one like, show. In they're announcing the Sydney, tickets. They're Brisbane. announcing the tickets a week before the show goes. Yeah. On. on. So, you know, the, the tickets are on sale on the Friday and it's on the following Thursday mm. night, the 3rd of March or something like that, or it's, it's a week out. Or... I just want to know why. I want to know the reasoning behind it. I'm sure everyone's going to ask Dave when he gets off that yeah. plane. Why are you here doing this Why show are you here places? doing, yeah, well, in Melbourne. Yeah. You know. Or Geelong. Or Geelong. You know, now, well, yeah. South, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, well, good on them. Good yeah, on them. Um, Amel and the Sniffers and the Meanies are the support acts. So, nice, nice. Yeah, he keeps he keeps to his punk rock roots. He does, I'll, he? I'll give him that. He'll yeah. give his, so there you go. Now, apart from that, we're going to go back in time again. Going to hit are. the old time machine. Yeah, when I was, what, 10? <laughs> I think I was about 13 or 14. Yeah. Talking about the year 1982. Now, the reason I'm we're going back here, I saw an article recently in Ultimate Classic Rock about... 1982 was the last year that rock dominated the pop singles charts. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah, and I thought about that. And if you do go back through the biggest selling rock singles of all time, 
um, the ones that you know are categorized as rock, mm -hmm. yeah, most of them come from, from 1982. Wow, well, there you go. Yeah, I'm glad you know more about that than me. <laughs> well, you look at it. Three of the big ones. Here we go. This is the last time yeah, rock really kind of dominated, and these were all number one hits, and mainly in America. But we're going to look at what did come out that year. But here are the four. Here we go. The big ones. I Love Rock and Roll by Joan Jett and the Black Hearts. Mm, that was pretty big. Number one hit. That was 82, was it? Wow, that's 82. crazy. Yeah, yeah. Centerfold by the Jay Giles Band. Oh, that was a good song. Massive hit. Massive hit. Um, oh, Jack and Diane by John Mellencamp. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Huge hit. And now the last one just escaped me, uh, but I will get there. I'm sure you will. <laughs> I'm sure I will because I just sort of thought, oh, yeah, those three. And so when I said Centerfold... I said, oh, I Have the Tiger by Survivor. Oh, yeah. How, that I same remember. Same year that album, the movie came out? Yeah, 82. Yeah, so, yeah. I remember when huge. that, all, all four of those songs were massive. Centerfold mm. was. Yeah. And they, the article didn't quite want to include Men at Work. Why? Uh, because they said they felt more onto the pop spectrum, but. I think Centerfold's a bit poppy song. Yeah, it's a poppy rock. Jay Giles Band were always a rock band, though. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. They were, but it is a very pop, a lot of pop hmm. elements in it. You I know. think it has. Yeah. So there you go. I mean, you think about that. And when and they said, when was the last time a rock song, like, dominated, was number one on the charts? Those four, and that's only four I can think of, were number one. And that occupied most of the charts in 1982 for the whole year. You know, we were definitely in the early 80s listening to a lot more rock, rock music. I think it probably changed for Michael Jackson. You reckon? Yeah, I reckon when Michael Jackson came out with Thriller, that changed a lot of the landscape. Hmm. Because it was it was such a pop album. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, I really do think that that's, that's what happened. But I, I just find that like, yeah, oh yeah, um, Go-Go's. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah um, no. Belinda, yeah, our lips are sealed. Yep. That's the fifth one. Because Go-Go's are always, even though they're very poppy, but they're always categorised as a rock yeah. band. I don't really know if they should be, though. Well, I, well, no, I, I do, because it was the, the five girls. Um, and it was just, So basically, if they're playing instruments, they're a rock band. No, I think it was the, the nature of the instruments, like guitar, two, yeah. two guitarists, bassist, and a drummer. Right. So you class as a rock band because of that. Yeah. Yep. I, think, I, I think that makes sense. Hmm. You know, yeah, I, I do. Why do you dispute that? No, I don't know. I've never really thought about it until now. Well, I think that's always considered the kind of the elements of the basic elements of mm -hmm. a rock band is the it's guitar, bass, drums. Okay. When you think about it, it's like, you know, oh yeah, what do you like? I, I mean, I just say guitar, bass, drums. Because people say Miley Cyrus is a rock singer, and people say that Pink is a rock singer, but they're solo artists. So I don't really know how that works. But back I in '82, different story for yeah, sure. Yeah, I would never categorize Pink as a rock artist in mm -hmm. any capacity. I think. Her songs are so pop because I don't hear electric, I don't hear guitars in them, even okay. though she does have a guitarist yeah, yeah, yeah. in her band and he's pretty damn good. I, I would never categorize Pink as a no, I guess not rock artist as such, but well, I don't think she is either, really. I wouldn't class it either, but I guess her audience is a very pop audience. But she has, she has a couple of songs here and there, like Black Cat was for, for Janet Jackson, Black yeah. Cat was a really rock song. Yeah, yeah, but she was. She but was, it wasn't classed as a rock band. No, rock, no, she was always a pop artist. artist yeah, but, yeah. But um, she was really following in what her brother hmm. did in that regard because Which worked. <laughs> didn't it? What? You know? And Prince was the same. Prince really straddled that 
you you would probably always categorize Prince as a pop artist. Yeah. And yet he's written some amazing rock songs. He has, yeah. For sure. You know, you, you would actually categorize the ballad Purple Rain as a rock song. Yeah, because it fits in with a lot of ballads from rock bands, doesn't it? Yeah, and yeah. that's what he was aiming at when he mm. wrote that song. He he was touring America at the time and he was selling out venues and stuff like that. And Bob Seger was touring at the same time yep. and selling out venues. And he thought, mm, I wonder what type of audience I could get if I wrote a song like Bob Seger. That's what was his inspiration. It was like, I mean, what a smart ass. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I actually saw an article the other day speaking of Prince. That mm-hmm. Top 10 guitar players of all time. And Prince was number four above Eddie Van Halen. I'm like, this is not good. <laughs> I know he's a good guitar player. Oh, he's a great guitar player. I'm not saying Prince is not a good guitar player, but to put him above someone like Eddie, I'm a bit surprised by. Anyway. What what article put that? Oh, I can't remember what it was. Well, who did they rate as number one? Uh, Jimi Hendrix and then Jimmy Page. Yeah, look, you know, when I was... I'll always still go with Hendrix. I know you're probably not sold on that. I'll always go with Hendrix on that one. Um, Page, as I've gotten older, I don't think I'd put Page up in the Mm. pantheon of the... He wrote great riffs. He stole great riffs. Yeah. Um, but if I was to look at guitarists as such, I I don't think I would put Jimmy Page in that pantheon of... Or, Greatest. He'd be up there, though, but he wouldn't yeah, be yeah. in the top two, that's for sure. Mm. You know, but Prince was four ahead of Eddie Van Halen? Yeah, I'd never speak of that again. <laughs> no, I'm, 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 gonna, I'm not going to let that go. I am not going to... Back to 1982, eh? Yeah, back to 1982. So what, are you 10 years old? I was 10, yeah. Yeah, so you're listen- So what are you listening to in 1982? Abba, probably, because my, my sisters and brother was listening to that. My brother would have been listening to Abba Kiss. Abba in 19... I thought Abba were done by 82. Kiss, but my sisters would listen to it. Yeah. Um, Kiss would have been on the records, I believe, back then. Yep. Um, my brother would have listened to Kiss and Credence. Yeah, it's funny. I remember funny. Yeah. being around. Even though they were well and truly done. done. Yeah, yeah. It's funny that when I was a kid, that, I mean, that's what got me in. I mean, in the 80s, I was listening to Led Zeppelin and The Doors and yeah. probably Credence, and those bands were done. Mm. They were, and yet I sort of just discovered them and went, oh, wow, these bands are cool. Yeah, yeah. You know? Or I had Christian music in the house. Uh, we've talked about that, haven't we? Have, we? Haven't we? We have talked about that. Yeah. But those days are different to what <laughs> Yeah, I mean. yeah, they are now, yeah. So you got a, you got a list of some of the releases. Well, these are the you... albums that were released in 1982. When you mentioned you want to do an album mm. uh, podcast in 1982, I, I know you were talking about singles, but I wanted to go back and look at the albums that were released in mm. rock. And um, I know a lot of these bands, were, the albums were pretty amazing back then. Mm. Um, for starters, you might know about Alice Cooper more than I did, but um, Zipper Catches Skin. You know that album? I don't, but I remember that's one that appears on the list and it's not low, it's sort of higher on the, the best. You know when they rank Alice Cooper's yeah. albums from worst to best? It's always one of the top five. It's, it's always up there, Zipper yeah, Catcher's Skin. Yeah. I've never heard it. I didn't even know. No, 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 no. But yeah, um, that's interesting. I was actually quite surprised that um, that was in 82. I thought it would have been earlier. But yeah. mm. Aerosmith. Which Rock album? in a Hard Place. Rock in a Hard Place. All right. Yeah, that was the one on the cover. I think they were in a... That was when they were... I think they are on the... Prime? No. no Starting they, out. No, no. They, they, that was when they are on the decline. Already? Well, they, it was the 70s where Aerosmith hit their prime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they hit the decline in the early 80s and they came back, back. in 87. And 
never left. It's probably it's probably still the greatest comeback in rock and roll history. Wow. It would be Aerosmith in my books. What was that album called again? The one that they came, came um, Permanent Vacation. Right. It was Pump, the next pump, one that was pump, massive. Yeah. And I know a lot of Aerosmith fans say, oh, it's not real Aerosmith, but I love Pump. <laughs> it's one of my favourite records. <laughs> love it. Why is it not real? Same same five guys, isn't uh, it? Yeah, I think it's because it's so slickly Poppy? produced. Oh, yeah. Okay, right. okay. It, it doesn't have that down and dirty sound that the Aerosmith albums, the great Aerosmith albums like Toys in the Attic and Rocks. If you want to hear a dirty rock album, Rocks is you could you could like you could almost smell the sleaze on that record. <laughs> it's pretty dirty. Mind you, I guess if there's a bit of production, it's because technology was changing. Oh, they they really went for it. They they hired like I mean Aerosmith were never worried about outside songwriters, and the fact that they got Desmond Child in to yeah, write yeah. a few of the the hits off Pump, yeah, off Pump, yeah. and Pump is just loaded with hits. It is. It is. It is. It is. It's, it's, it's a hit rock record. It's how, I think it's like how you make a commercial rock record. It's which is eighties was quite good for mm. the commercial rock album. Oh, lots of them. Oh, loads of them, absolutely loads of them. You're a fan of the band called Anvil. I know of. I must have seen the documentary. Have you seen the documentary? I've seen the documentary, which um, I didn't know. I don't know if I ever really could say I like their music. So I admire the fact that they never gave it up. Yeah, yeah, they were definitely um, persistent. But yeah, they had an album <laughs> called Metal on Metal. Metal. Um, that was their debut, Metal on Metal. Oh, there you go. There you go, metal on metal. Um, I'm not even sure how many albums I had, but the documentary was interesting. Yeah, it is interesting, and you know, but it didn't make. But it just never clicked. They just never turned that page. The the moment was there, you know. You you see, they didn't grab hold of it. No, they didn't. No, but that was their debut, metal on metal. Yeah, and Black Sabbath released an album called Live Evil with Ronnie Dio singing for them. So I didn't listen to that either, but apparently it was a good album. I'm sure it is. I haven't listened to it myself. Um, Blue Oyster Cult, you a fan? Uh, yeah, past that one. Yep, fair enough. <laughs> Cheap Trick, one on one. That was a big album for them because that had you, if you want my love, you got it, mm. which was a huge hit in Australia. Pink Cheap Trick have always been popular in Australia. Really? Okay. They've always been a yeah. Well, they're touring. They're doing the Under the Southern Stars tour with oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bush and Stone Temple Pilots, and Cheap Cheap Trick have always been popular in Australia, and I think the Flame was a massive hit. It was a number one hit here, whereas yep. I don't think it was a hit anywhere in America anyway. They're, they're kind of weird. Cheap Trick were a bigger... They're one of those bands that definitely from America could only have ever come from America, mm-hmm. but were massive overseas. More than America. More than America. Like in Japan, they called them the American Beatles. Wow. Yeah, go. so Cheap Trick were really popular. Then they became popular here in Australia. And I'm sure they're popular throughout Europe and, and England, but in America, I think they just they got a bit of a following. But a bit like me, like, really, isn't it? Yeah, some, some artists yeah. are just like some that. Some people yeah. do that. Mm. David Hasselhoff, he does that. Yeah, he can have that too. <laughs> um, Diamond Head, Borrowed uh, Time. I never got into Diamond that no, voice. I, I can't know, get the into the voice. I'm really influenced by them, but I can't get into it. I neither can either. So, but that was a big heavy as metal as, back album. As soon as I hear his singing, I go, Nah, it's all right. Yeah, borrowed <laughs> time with that album, but yeah, I just I've gone back to look at the catalogue of what influenced people like Metallica and Megadeth and those guys, and yeah. a lot of it I can't get into. I like the versions that these other guys have actually made. Yeah, probably better than the originals. Mm. So, but um, one of my favourite guitar players, Gary Moore. Corridor. I've just been reading a bit about Gary Moore. Oh, have you? For some reason that's just coming up on my feed. I think it's getting into my brain, but mm-hmm. I love Gary Moore. Oh, 
And you said, well, it's funny, good thing you said about your favorite guitarist, because these articles, are, these articles I've been reading have been saying, this guy is probably one of the all-time greats, mm. and yep. yet he's never spoken of in the same sentence, but if you really listen to his playing, yep. and I love Gary Moore. The Run for Cover album I bought, and I love the song he did with Phil Linett out in the fields. It's so Irish. That's the first song that, yeah, it is actually. It's so Irish. That's the first song I actually saw of his on the video. I remember watching that. Watching it on Rage or whatever I watched it on. Yeah. And I was just fascinated by it. And I like the fact that it was one of the first ones where I saw they put the tiny camera on the end of the guitar stop. Yeah, yeah. And you actually saw his fingers. And I went, oh, what's he doing? Yeah. What is he? And then I saw an old live one he did. It might have been a song from Corridors of Power. He did a, a version of the Yardbirds' Shape of Things. And his playing on that was like... Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Mm-hmm. It's like you're watching and thinking, how is no one else talking about this guy? And then he, he does his solo career in blues. Like he's His change is kind of like, still got the blues album. It's it's so different, right. but it was so good. It's There seems to be a real connection too with Irish musicians and the blues. blues yeah. Rory yeah. Gallagher is a guitarist. You've probably heard... I've never I've really heard. actually heard any of his stuff, but you've heard of him. I've you? heard of him, yeah, for yeah. sure. And you know how the people who love Rory Gallagher love Rory Gallagher. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's it's like he is like worshipped in the pantheon of Irish artists. Yeah. I think Gary Moore is cut from that same particular cloth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Rory Gallagher is is that guy. And is that Irish blues. And because the Irish have had such an awful history. The blues probably resonates well with so much with them. Back in the late, yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. But yeah, Gary Moore, Corridors of Power. That wasn't the one that made him a big star, but I'll tell you what, it... Um, I think the Still Got the Blues made him a big star. That made him a huge star, but yeah. I think Run For Cover was that album. Was right. the, that was the one that, like yourself, I saw out in the fields and I just went, oh, I love Phil Linett. And yeah. Who's this guy he's with? You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. that wasn't Thin Lizzy, that was just... No, but yeah, and, Gary. and he, yeah, because he, he had a friendship with Phil Linett mm-hmm. and... God, Extraordinary baseball. I love Thin Lizzy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I love Phil Linett and, and um, yeah, extraordinary songwriting and everything. But yeah, Gary had been in Thin Lizzy, like, he'd only ever record one album with him, but he'd done three stints with the band as a touring, touring. guitarist. Okay. But he only ever did one album, Black Rose. Right. Or the Gaelic title, Roisin Dub. Love that. Keep going. Uh, Sammy Hagar brought out Three Lock Box. That was that was some, his solo career. Up it was Montrose. a solo career, and that was the one that had all the the, the Sammy Hagar songs that mm. yeah that they kept playing over over time. Still, yeah, mm. um, that was a big hit for him in America. It was, it was. No, he never really became like this big star in Australia. But when he, I remember when he got the gig singing for Van Halen, you, I was, it was always very much like, well, I've heard of him, yeah, but I yeah. wouldn't know who yeah. he was. Yeah. But in America, he he was he wasn't a huge star, but he was somebody. Yeah, I only first heard of him when he was actually in Van Halen. Oh, I'd I'd, I'd actually heard the name. Mm, no, I hadn't. Yeah. Even though my brothers stepbrothers had the album, those albums, I yeah. never saw the album covers. You've heard the Montrose, stuff, haven't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I'm not a huge fan of it. I quite thought it was cool. Yeah, it was I good for its time. Yeah, I thought Montrose was really cool. Um, one of the best albums of all time from Iron Maiden, Number of Beasts, came oh, out. Oh God. <laughs> Wow, I remember getting that and taking it home, and oh, it's, it's still one of the greatest heavy metal albums ever recorded. Yeah, I, whenever I, whenever they do those lists of Maiden's albums, worst to best, Number of the Beast is still number one. Yeah, it's it's just still. And we were talking before we went on. My eleven-year-old daughter yeah. loves the Number of the Beast and Hallowed Be Thy Name. She mm. loves both those songs. 
doesn't like any other heavy metal, but loves Iron Maiden. Loves the whole Eddie thing. She collects the pop vinyls oh, does she? and all that sort of stuff. But, yep. And, and they're releasing six more, aren't they? Six more. Six she got more. excited when I showed her the six oh, more I Iron Maiden. She went, oh, P. She went, Power Slave. Oh, what was the other one? Oh, um, Number of the Beast. Oh, and I'm thinking, how do you know? <laughs> Just from seeing their little character. How do you know these albums and these album covers and, yeah. and these and this Iron Maiden stuff, you know? Yeah, it's not my favourite album of theirs. Still, Power Slave, I think, is better and more consistent through, but yeah, I think so. still made a mark for her. There, there is some stuff on Number of the Beast, if you look at it now, and you think, oh, is it It doesn't stand up. I don't think 22 Acacia Avenue stands mm. up very well. Yeah. Um, and Gangland is a bit... That fillers to me. That's filler. Yeah, they're, they're yeah. kind of fillers. And that's why they have so many albums, because I don't think... I've discussed this before with a mate of mine and we've just talked about it. I don't think Iron Maiden have one album which is great all the way through. Mm. But to me, Power Slave is the closest to them. Yeah, there's a couple that. there's actually a couple of things on um Power Slave that I couldn't live without. Yeah. But um It's hard to do, but mm. they just oh. pump out so much. Yeah, they don't stop. They don't stop. They don't stop. No, no, you're I'm right. I'm going to get mad about that because they bring out music so often. <laughs> I wish Metallica did <laughs> and, that. And, 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 and so much of it. Yeah, yeah. Like their last two albums were like monster double mm. albums that go for like, well, as long as Schindler's List almost. And do you reckon, is it, I, don't know, I didn't see the, cred, um, the writing credits for the last album they did, but was it all Steve Harris again? No, no, they all share. They share it now? Yeah. A lot more? A lot more, yeah. There's six players, I guess. So you got six people, well, five people. Playing. I often wondered why Yannick Gares is still in the band because yeah. every time you watch him, I don't, it doesn't even look like he's playing the guitar. No, like Andrew dancing. Ridgely, he's dancing a lot. Yeah. But he brings a lot to the songwriting table. Okay, Yannick is a songwriter as such, but obviously they must lo- must have loved having him. Yeah. Because yeah. when Adrian Smith came into the band, they must have went, "Well, what do we do with Yannick?" Yeah, let's keep him. Let's keep him. Share your role. Yeah, you can. Yeah, well, we'll keep it seems the attic. To work. It seems to work, I guess. It, it works. They obviously, yeah. They, they don't mind splitting things six ways. They, they don't. Keeps <laughs> the bands together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, bands and money. Um, Judas Priest screaming for vengeance. Whoa. That was a big record for them, wasn't it? It was, but my I didn't hear it back then. But um, for me, my album for them was Ram It Down Still was my favourite. Okay. Because uh, I was a bit older and listened mm. to that. So I don't really know much about that album. But I know Judas Priest made a big mark on my stepfather's um, catalog. Look, as I said, I went well, you know, like because it is, it's a massive album in the in the priest yeah. catalog. Is yeah. screaming, but it's eighty two. Yeah, I mean, I just mentioned those singles. <laughs> These are some, of, and we haven't even mentioned. I'm going to mention the Australian albums. Can I mention yeah, some of them? Yeah, because like, okay, this came out in eighty two. Ten to one by Midnight Oil. Oh yeah, that's a good album. Circus Animals by Cole Chisel. Discussed that. You discussed that recently. On, I did um, on on um get, get on, on it. it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and I wouldn't listen to it because I hadn't heard it for a long, long time and didn't know the songs on there offhand. So I listened yeah. to it the other day, and it's pretty much uh, hit, 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 hit all the way through. <laughs> and they're all the songs. It's like a greatest hits for me. Yeah, that album Circus Sound of Animals was like a greatest greatest hits. I all think, of my favorite songs are on there. When I went and saw Cultures Alive uh, a few years ago, now um, I'd never seen them live. And so when they, they, they did the show at the um, the GC600, mm-hmm. and I went and saw them, and they they were amazing. Yep. It was an amazing show. And the thing what got me was they did two of my favourite songs of Circus Animals, which were the album oh, tracks. Yep. They did Hound Dog, and they did Letter to Alan. Okay. And I was like, these are album tracks yeah, of yeah. Circus Animals. That's how good that record is. When cultures will make up a set list, they go, 
I've got to put in a couple album tracks from um, Circus Animals yeah. in there. <laughs> no, it was actually really enjoyable to listen to. What else? Days of Innocence by Moving Pictures. Oh, Moving Pictures. That were, they were huge. They what were. About Me was a massive song. Bustin' Loose was a big song. Mm-hmm. They, were, they were big. Time and Tide by Split Ends. Oh, yeah. Okay. That had, that had um, Dirty Creature on it. and a new band, though, weren't they? Yeah, but we'll count them. We'll count them. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, as I said, 10 to 1 by Midnight Oil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that song, that album, spent nearly 200 weeks in the Australian charts. Wow. Just kept selling. And it didn't even, like, the singles didn't even really chart. But Midnight Oil as a live band. Yeah. yeah. Sons of Beaches by Australian Crawl. Okay. Yep. Australian crawlers, we have them with Kev who runs this studio. We have discussed huge yeah. in this country. You know, and this is just like some of the Australian acts that have been in there. What else you got there? You know, I mean, uh, these are. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going to. But these are. Oh, Spirit of Place by Goanna. I saw that oh. one. I know you like that one. There, yeah. Chris. Chris likes that I like one. Goanna. And Primitive Man by Ice House. See, they're all bands I've forgotten about. <laughs> I was only young when it came out, but you heard those songs, like I said before, in another podcast. Yeah. Those songs were on the radio all my life when I was growing up. So you kind of, I didn't need to buy the albums. Because but you know them because they're on the radio all the time when you're at work, whatever you're doing. I mean, you just, hear them, it's just always constantly there. And they're good songs. All of them. Yeah. All of them great songs. So there you go. Oh, and of course, you know, on a business as usual, came out 81. So yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, one of your favorites, Kiss, Creatures of the Night. Look, a really kicking record. Mm. A really kicking Kick-Ass. What's the single of that one? Um, I Love It Loud. Oh, yeah, that's still played yeah. now. Still played now. Yeah. And um, one of their, probably their best ballad, I Still Love You. Okay. A pretty good one. But even the title track, Creatures of the Night. Yep. Oh, it's just killer. War Machines on that. That's that's a really, that was when Kiss went back to, they, they, did, they went from being a guitar rock band. That was their heavy metal record. Mm-hmm. They actually went in the studio and made a metal record. Yep. And it, it it kicks. Creatures of the Night is still... You'd put that on today and go, this album kicks. It's good, yeah. Yeah, it kicks. I'm surprised you don't think Forever is their favourite, their best ballad. No. <laughs> it was a hit. No, no, no. I still love you. That's 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 such your classic 80s yeah, metal yeah. power ballad. I was I still love Forever you. came out, it was on the rage every day. And you got so sick of seeing it. Oh, forever, yeah. It's yeah, not my yeah. favourite. Um, Led Zeppelin, Coda. Yeah, look, that was a... My, I didn't discover Led Zeppelin until well and shortly after they finished, but Coda is just all... It's an album about B-sides and okay. rarities. That's all it was. It was, just, it. it was just unreleased material, but it just goes to show how little was in the Led Zeppelin vault. Because mm. this is after Bonham died. Mm. Bonham died in 1980. How little was in the vault that they released Coda as a record as kind of like a... See you later. That's that's okay. it. There you go. Led Zeppelin. So it didn't do very well on the charts or anything. I did. It sold well. It was a Led Zeppelin oh, record. Yeah, <laughs> it was a it was a Zeppelin record. Iron Fist by Motorhead. Can't oh, go wrong with Motorhead. Yeah. Can't can't go wrong with Motorhead. I was watching that documentary you talked about the other day. Oh, um, we gotta discuss that. Decline of Western Civilization. Yeah, the metal metal years. The metal and years. watching that was actually really interesting to see all those guys who I grew up listening to back when they were younger, and watching Lemmy talk mm. was actually quite interesting, seeing him so young again, you know? Isn't, actually... isn't Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley <laughs> embarrassing in that? Didn't they just embarrass Paul themselves? Didn't I tell you it was like a real kind of... And another another friend of mine um, said he, his favourite scene from that film is when they're at Gazari's, 
yeah. And old Ben Gazzari's out there because he just loves being surrounded by these yeah, hot yeah. chicks and these young guys. You he, he, he can see he doesn't care, you know. Yeah. I love when the girls are there. He goes, that's not the type of thing. We have classy chicks here at Gazzari's. And you're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I thought it was funny when they first, the first time I saw them interviewing that documentary, Paul Stanley, and he's laying on a bed. And yeah. there's one female next to him, and she's just looking at him, and he's just talking away to the camera because it's up overhead. Yeah. And then they pan out, and there's two other girls on the bed with him. Like, it's, it's, you're uh, such an idiot. And then Gene Simmons in the lingerie yeah, store. Yeah, and then oh. he's sitting in the lingerie store, and that girl goes past, and he just stops talking, keeps looking. I'm like, really? Really? <laughs> really? Uh, but that was the time back then. But yeah, watching the guys from like, um, uh, well, Dave Mustaine was on there, and then you get Lenny, mm. obviously, and you get someone like, um, who was it? Uh, the guys from Poison. Oh, they were, they, oh, the, how much cocaine did they take oh, before they went goodness. on All screen? four of them were on there, but I'm watching, just looking at them, we're just like, man, you should dress like that? Yeah. And they all did. They all, all did. All hair and all that kind of thing. They all did. And that's, yeah, it's just crazy watching them all, you know? It's a really interesting that, documentary. That, that was um, with, with Gazzari, that's what always, as I said, my, my mate's favourite scene is, with Gazzari, the, the band Odin, and he oh, tries yeah. to get everyone to get the chant, Odin, yeah. Odin, and no one is no chanting. One it. Yeah. <laughs> that was really interesting. Good to get honest. Those but, who are watching at home, watch yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, you can watch it on YouTube. It's, it's, yeah, I did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which, which Chris did. It's for some reason, and yet it's never had the official Blu-ray release or box set release or anything because they can't release the music rights. Right. But everyone seems to upload a copy on YouTube. So. Have you watch the other episodes no the first one is about the the punk scene in um la the hardcore scene mm -hmm. um so it's got all the bands like black flag and henry rollins and the dead kennedys and flipper and all those bands that were around at that time but the third one is more about the um kids living on the street it's oh. not really about the music scene in any capacity right. whatsoever so metal years watch it oh as she says in there, Metal Years, number two, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. number two, the Metal Years. And what was the other? Oh, the, the, I'm gonna, the sad thing, remember we mentioned about Chris Holmes from Wasp? Oh, man, alive, what a mess. Yeah. <laughs> Opening scene. And his mum, his mum's sitting there sitting at the there pool. Sitting there passing him the drink. And yeah, he's, he's drinking the vodka straight out of the bottle and he's just basically saying, I wish I was dead. Mm. And it's all your fault. And she's like, see, just looking at him going, what do I do? You know? Yeah. That was sad. It was. It's that's the weird thing about He's it. He's still alive though. That's what killed me. Hmm. Chris Holmes is still alive. Yeah. After seeing that, I, I had to look it up and because he became he he got sober. He married Lita Ford. Oh yeah, he did. He was one of the ones who married Lita Ford, <laughs> or dated Lita Ford, <laughs> or someone yeah. in that scene. That's <laughs> right. Nikki Six was at Lita Ford there for a while too. I think so. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Remember, he said they took lots of heroin and shit got weird. Mm. That's right. He thought he thought he unleashed the demons into the world or something like that. Yeah, it's all right. Uh, Ted Nugent, you a fan? I love Ted, but not... He released self-titled Nugent? Yeah, not one of his best. I think Ted's 70s output, I love it. Stranglehold's one of my favourite songs. I love Free For All. I love um, Wango Tango. Wango Tango, I just love that one. But, um, oh, he's, he's got songs coming out now about... One one of his songs is called "Come and Get 'Em," right? Which is basically about you trying to take away my guns. Well, come and get 'em, right? He's my, I think I liked it better when he was just singing rock songs about chicks. Yeah, I'm not a fan. Never really liked Ted. Oh, I do. I like terrible Ted. Well, nice. listen, but you know he's um all these new songs now about freedom and his guns and all that. Yeah. Right, Ted.
<laughs> I get it. Ozzy Osbourne, Speak of the Devil, live. Oh, okay, was that the live one he brought mm. out? Okay. Yeah, that was a pretty good album. Yep. Um, was Randy, that was Randy? Randy wasn't playing on that album, was he? No, I don't think so. That's right, the Randy live stuff didn't come out until the tribute album tribute came out. out. Yep. Right, eh? Uh, Rainbow, Straight Between the Eyes. Uh, who was the singer then? It would have been Joe Lynn Turner, I think, by Straight Between the Eyes. No, no, they only had the three singers of Rainbow. Dio, uh, Graham Bonnet, and then Joe Lynn Turner. Okay. I think Joe Lynn Turner was, it's not one of their best. No, fair enough. Rose Tattoo, you were speaking before about Australian bands. Oh, Scarred for Life came out that year. Yep. Bloody um, We Can't Be Beaten. How much, how often does that song still play? I don't know. But um, you said before we started filming, they made it big overseas to a point. They were, well, Guns N' Roses loved them. Yeah. You know, um, a lot of those bands. Did they tour with Guns N' Roses? They did, they? Yeah, they still, well, Guns, Angry will always be the support act for Guns N' Roses. Yeah, okay. They just love Rose Tattoo. They were a massive influence on them. Um, they, they, they were quite big in England because it was weird. The punks loved them. Really? Yeah, because they came out and they were covered in tattoos. They were ugly as sin. Yeah. <laughs> they had beer bellies. You know. He's only about five foot, isn't he? Yeah, but Pete Wells, Pete Wells, that their fantastic slide guitar player, yeah. he'd always have his shirt open with his beer belly over the guitar and just, yeah. And they drank hard, partied hard, and fought, and Angry would bleed. Apparently Angry would get the amps and get his head into the amps. And so he'd, his face would be this bloody mess. And he'd sing these songs. Now he just comes across as an angry old racist. But, you know. <laughs> Back then, angry was One of his most famous songs is his solo, Suddenly. Is that your favourite song? No, it's one of their... Like, everyone thinks of Rose Tattoo and they go Angry Anderson and they think straight away the song Suddenly from Neighbours. They do. Yeah, that was huge. That was massive. Because of Neighbours over in England. Because of Neighbours for the wedding. Yeah, because of Neighbours in England. He had number one hit in Charlene England. Charlene and Jace, uh, Scott. Oh, Scott and Charlene. Jason and... Uh, Coily. So, yeah, people think of that and they go, oh, yeah, Angry Anderson, best known song is a ballad from Neighbours, <laughs> which shot him up, you know. I know. Crazy. Saxon uh, Eagle has landed. No, no, no. no. Scorpions, Blackout. Uh, no, no, Scorpions were a band I never ever got into, yeah, but they too. were big overseas. They were. But these are all, I said, it's L82 albums. You're going to yeah. have to go through them a bit quicker, Chris, because I'm just looking, we're running out of time. That's how much many, that's well, how I many. Just touch on. One more for me. Yep. Van Halen, Diver Down. We talked about that before. Ah, before we came to air. Yeah. Yeah, a, a contentious album. A contentious album. For yeah, very, um, that just put something out quickly. I know David Roth wanted to put more covers on it. It's well, the least, our favourite album of Eddie's. There's, what, how many instrumentals are on there too? I think, oh, little guitars. There's three, isn't it? There's three, three instrumentals. Think, yeah. There's, how many cover versions on there? Dancing in the Street, Pretty Woman. I think there's another couple. Yeah. Not sure offhand. Yeah. I don't listen to it ever. I love Little Guitars. I think it's a great song. Is Hear About It Later on that album? Do you know what, sorry? Is Hear About It Later on that album? Yeah, I have to look. I know track numbers. (laughs) Is track six? No. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Yeah, that was really interesting. Um, we're looking back at 82. It was good. It was good. I mean, gosh. I was only 10 and you were only 15 or whatever you were. Well, if you look at the albums too that the singles came from, um, John Mellencamp. Well, he was John Cougar back then with American Fool. With Jack and Diane was mm-hmm. on and Hurt So Good were on that. Right. I mean, these are just big rock yeah. rock albums that I came out. I those days when the charts are full of rock. 
Because that's what this article was about, going back mm. to it, was um, when was the last time a rock song, something that is categorized as a rock song, yeah. hit number one? And for how long did it hit number one for? Yeah. You know, I think the, the, the highest, was it, I think the biggest selling rock single of all time, we've talked about, is Smooth by Santana and Rob Thomas oh, yeah, yeah. from the Supernatural album. But it only ever went to number six on the charts. Oh, there you go. But it sold truckloads. So who beat that then? I, it's, it's I don't know. I can't remember. Yeah. But in 99, but it is categorized as the biggest selling rock and roll single. More than um, Hey Jude by the Beatles. Oh, that wow. Outsold. That's how big, that's how big Supernatural was. That's incredible. It's an album that sold 20 million copies and no one gives a crap about it. Mm. No one goes and goes, Supernatural by Santana. What a great record. No, don't. Yeah, it sold 20 million records. Um, before we head off, Cool thing. Oh, cool thing. My cool thing. Oh, yeah, you got a cool thing. Um, I got ever think. Yeah. I, a guy called Mike Dawes, D-A-W-E-S, plays acoustic guitar. Mm. I've been watching him on YouTube. He taps it and he hits it and he does this and does that. Have a listen to Mike Dawes on YouTube or Instagram. He plays a couple of songs with Tommy Emmanuel, who I, I always thought Tommy was probably one of the best, if not the best, acoustic guitar player around. Mm. But I have to say, Mike is kind of like... Up there as well. Does he do a lot? Because Tommy did a lot of that. Tapping. tapping oh, this is and, what he does yeah. most of the time. Yeah, um, Tommy did a lot. Just incredible guitar playing. Mm. And the rhythm behind it with hitting the, hitting the guitar. Just Mike Dawes. Have a look at it. Check it out. One of my cool things for the week. And yours? My cool thing for the week. Oh, my gosh. It's, you know, sometimes I go, oh, what is my cool thing? Right out. It's a YouTube channel. Justin Hawkins Rides Again. Have you seen this one? No. Justin <laughs> Hawkins from The Darkness. Yeah. He does a YouTube channel. We just basically comments on things he likes or doesn't like, like he like we're doing, <laughs> like we're doing. But you know, he's got a bigger audience because he's <laughs> Justin Hawkins from the Darkness. The Darkness. And uh, yeah, he just just talks like you know, I saw him do this whole episode on Brian Adams' Reckless album okay. and how good it was. And then because I'm I'm sitting there watching this, going, we should do that because I forgot how good when I was a kid. Reckless came out in 1985, mm -hmm. and as he said. This album is wall-to-wall -wall bangers. There is not a bad song on the... And when we talked about rock albums or albums of the 80s, how yeah, there was yeah. every song was like, yeah, Reckless by Brian Adams. Yeah, every true. song on that was... Like, there were five or six singles off it, but every song off it could have been a... Was he the solo, solo um, writer of those songs? I uh, know. He always had a songwriting partner, he Jim Valance. Right, okay. But, yeah, but it was... Big production on the record. Mm. And Brian Adams is basically guitar, bass, drums with a little bit of keyboarding. Mm. He's, he's, and he just wears T-shirt and jeans on yeah. stage. He is literally just... Like a, your neighbour. He's like your neighbour. He's a rock guy. That, yeah. that was Brian Adams. You know, so... Yeah, Justin... But mind you, it's not Brian Adams. It's Justin Hawkins Rides Again. It's just He's just got a lovely way of speaking and um, he's got that wonderful British accent, and, you know. <laughs> and he, he's, just, he's quite honest. He just, like, he went through about the most awkward interview ever and it was this interview with the band Sugar Ross on NPR where, you know, like, the the interviewer asked Sugar Ross, you know, a question about where did you where did you sort of figure out you could play this type of music? Or was it a, did, did you, how did you know you could play this type of music? Yes. He's, I, that's kind of like it. It's, it's like he's long, and you can see the band, you're kind of looking at each other. Just go, are you going to answer? 
<laughs> that really, oh, wow, so cool. But anyway, Justin Hawkins rides again. Cool. Yours is Mike Dawes. Yep. And uh, that's... That's it. That's it for us. See you next week. See you next week where we won't go to 1982. But... <laughs>